This is the Organizational Health Advantage Podcast with Keith Hadley and James Felton, Principal Consultants at Table Group. They're in the business of coaching leaders to build strategic focus and cultural alignment that leads to amazing results. This podcast is for leaders who are looking to increase productivity and morale while decreasing politics, confusion, and unwanted turnover. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage. Hello, and welcome back to the Organizational Health Advantage podcast. I'm your host, James Felton, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and colleague and co-host, Keith Hadley. Keith, how are you doing? Hey, James. I'm doing great. I'm super excited about today's topic. And James, this is something you brought to my attention recently, and we've been talking about it. It's a dynamic that we see happening on teams. And, you know, we love the idea of peer to peer accountability. I know we've talked about that in podcasts, but we've had this a bit of a flash insight, which is this is going to sound weird, but not all peers are equal. Yeah. Right. They're they're equal as humans. They're equal on the team, but they're not equal in terms of the impact or the influence they have on the team, their level of buy-in, and you know what they are bringing to the leader. So, James, we want to explore this topic so that we can help leaders identify, right, the champions on their team. Yeah, tell, yeah. tell us how did this come about. Tell us your thoughts well, on this. Well, and so I think we're calling this episode is finding and leveraging the org health champions on the team. Yeah, yeah. And I've been thinking about it a lot because we do talk about peer-to-peer accountability, and yet it doesn't always happen. And I'm kind of thinking, like, why doesn't it happen as often as we would like to see it? Yeah. And then I started thinking about actual sports teams that I was on and sports teams that I watch. And then we had the great fortune of a couple of our colleagues working with the coaching staff of a professional NBA team, I guess that's redundant, but an NBA basketball team that was also redundant, but the head coach shared an example of what we would deem as peer to peer accountability. But I think it was a little bit more than that. And the quick story is one of the players on the team was late for team meetings and traveling and, you know, just basically anything that involved the team, this person was late too. And so the head coach said, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to go talk to this person or I'm going to have our star player talk to this person. Right. And the coach reached out to the star player and said, hey, this needs to be dealt with. Do you want me to do it or do you want to do it? And it was great because the star player said, oh, I'll do it. I'll handle it. And star player called late player and never had an issue after that. <laughs> and, right. and we would say, okay, that's peer-to-peer accountability. That's awesome. But I think that's actually setting the bar a little too low on what happened there or maybe like we actually just need to realize that that was an influential player yes yeah holding somebody else accountable i think that is the new insight yes it's peer-to-peer but it wasn't just any player right and as we talk to leaders as we talk to ceos i don't think i've actually brought that up very often to say hey who on your team would be the right person to bring some of this feedback or who on the team you know is really running with you and championing this effort that you're making. Yes. That can have a bigger impact when they take the leader, when they hold a teammate accountable. Exactly. And what we're looking for is that 
sweet spot of a high performer, a key influencer. Yep. And then somebody who's bought into the leader slash the organizational health movement. Right, right, right. And when you have that person, then it's like recruit them. Yeah. Let them know that you really want them to be a part of this evolution and the leadership of this evolution, this org health transformation in the organization, primarily with the team first. Yeah. But recruit them. And let them know that. And so they understand their place, like the star player on this NBA team. Their place is not only to perform well, but to make sure other people are climbing on board the org health bandwagon. Right. So that it's not just the leader's thing. Right. It's our thing. And you need to get on board with this. Right. You know? Right. I think what's happened with us is that we we see that dynamic. It's plain as day. Um, it emerges quickly. In fact, when, when you and I were kicking around ideas, uh, we, and this is the hard thing on this podcast is we so desperately want to name names, but between you and I, we were saying, okay, with this client, it was this guy with this client. It was that woman with this client. It was this woman with that client. It was that guy. And so we could identify it right away. Now that we've had this model of who on the team had the most influence over their peers in a positive influence way. Yes. And so they they were not just a good performer, not just a good teammate, not just an ideal team player from a humble, hungry, smart perspective, but they understood where the leader was trying to take the team. Yes. And now we talk about org health. Maybe this means just the org health transformation. But it could be anytime a leader is trying to make a change. Yes. Uh, I've got a client right now that, that like, I got an email from him today and he said, today is the day that they are launching this major effort, which is a product emphasis in, in that it's been a part of their development uh, roadmap. It, now it's a part of their kind of their sales structure. And they're like, today is D-Day. Today is the day. And what's great is he's saying that is that I know that he has had to very specifically recruit each member individually on his team to get it aligned with his way of thinking about where he wants to bring the company. So it's broader than org health. It's anytime a leader is trying to make a change. Yes. But I think earlier on in the conversation, taking stock of the fact that, okay, not everybody in this team is going to have the same level of impact. And so... Who on the team, we, this is what we'd say to any leader, right? Who on your team really understands the vision that you have for the team? And they are not just running alongside of you. They're actually like running ahead of you a little bit. They're like a lead blocker on a football you know, team. Yeah, yeah. Or they're, they're thinking of things that you haven't seen yet. So like they're, they're not just with you. They're actually with you and pushing you and encouraging you and pulling you along who on the team we would say maybe is like a spectator like they're along for the ride they're not they're not really helping accelerate things with you they're not slowing you down but they're not accelerators maybe that's the title it's like who's the the accelerator who's in the passenger seat and who is like who on your team is actually slowing you down yeah yeah, who's who's the one in the Fred Flintstone car who's like <laughs> pushing their heels into the dirt, you know, and and right. preventing the car from going? You know, that would be that that other third, and um, and so our I think our encouragement is one, like 
find those people that that are on board with you, on board with the org health movement, and and if they are high performers and key influencers, that is great. And then recruit them onto your side. Yep. And really encourage them to be that positive influencer and to bring people up on the bandwagon, you know, but you got to recruit them and yeah. you got to, you got to set the expectation, your hope for them in this. And then it's not yeah. just the leader's hey, let, thing. Let, yeah. Let, let me slow you down. Cause I actually want to break this down. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to interview you here. So okay. how would you identify that person? What are the hallmarks? What are the character traits? So I would say, uh, uh, one, the performance we we probably understand. Okay, but it's probably mm-hmm. also in a collaborative way. It's not alienating people. It's like bringing people on. So that kind of ideal team player of humble, hungry, and people smart. Um, and then you realize when they say something, people listen. Yep. And then they have the they they probably aren't shy. It doesn't mean that they're an extrovert. But we're not coaxing things out of them. Right. They're willing to volunteer their opinion, their thought. Um, and, and so it's those people that we probably want to hear more from. Yeah. And I would say it's, it's not just that they're it's not just that they're on board. I would say it. they have to be on board. In other words, they have to get it. They have to get the change, get the org health transformation. They have to be, you know. Like, okay, they're nodding their heads. They understand it. Maybe they've, they've read the book. They've watched the videos. They've listened to the podcast. Yes. Um, but then they, they actually have to be taking initiative and, and pushing. And maybe the leader is having to slow them down a little bit. The only thing I would say there is um, I, I don't know that I would expect that of somebody who's on board. Right, because I think there's the and we talked about it, there's the tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, where it's like you know, if they elevate themselves, um, some people, especially the the people who are kind of opposite of this, and people who are like putting their heels in, they might come at that person and say like, "Oh, who do you think you are, elevating yourself?" And so that's why I would say the leader needs to spot who's who can do that, mm. and. If they're not doing it yet, that's the recruiting. Hey, I want you to speak up more. Yep. I don't want this to just be a me thing. I want it to be our thing and start bringing other people on board. You know, it, it's the the more people we get, the more momentum we get. And so that's that's the right. only that's right. the only tweak there. I would say is like they might not be doing it yet, but they have the capacity to do it, and we want to recruit them and encourage them to get on board. I had a call earlier today with a leader who um, is going to be doing their own offsite. We're not going to be in the room. And we were just kind of walking through an agenda. And uh, and it was interesting because with I didn't even have this model in mind, but it was the leader and one other person mm. who is clearly the person on that team that this leader is counting on. And then they were talking about one of the other people on the team that like, I hope she can really step up and be vulnerable because she's been saying a lot of stuff behind closed doors, but not yet to the team. Yeah. And so we kind of mapped out like the team effectiveness exercise, for example. And I was telling the leader like, Hey, as long as you really go first and you're vulnerable, so we'll start with you. And then I'd looked at the other person on the call and said, and then you go next. Yeah. 
because you also need to model what the leader's trying to do. And if you go next, and then this person should probably go next. We actually <laughs> defined the order of like most likely to be vulnerable yeah. so that they would set the stage for the least likely to be vulnerable person to actually step into that place of vulnerability where they could be genuine, ask for help, say challenging things. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I think actually getting ahead and thinking through this model would be helpful. So um, you talked about recruiting them. What, what, what would that look like? How would I know that I'm if I set out to recruit somebody, how would I know what to do or when I'm done? Well, so, uh, uh, you know, I actually did this in an offsite um, where it was our initial offsite. It was day one. And, um, and I, I don't think everybody had read The Advantage, which I think is a great book for everybody to read prior to an offsite. Um, and for sure, some people were um, dragging their heels or, or, you know, just not fully embracing the conversation. And at one of the breaks... I went to who I thought was maybe the most influential person on the team or pretty close to it and a high performer and trusted by the leader. And I said, um, hey, you, you know, I think you have influence on this team. Do you buy into this work and what the leader is wanting? And he said, oh, yeah. Mm. And I said, it would be really helpful if you would start acting like it. Mm. And yeah, yeah. And he he didn't take it as a challenge, which he probably could have the way I maybe addressed it. But um, <laughs> but he took it as a positive. And really what I was leaning in on was like, I want you to act like a leader here, you know? Yeah. And he did. And it and it changed the whole complexion of the offsite when it wasn't just the leader's thing. Right. Right. And now it was this now. Oh, that guy who is highly thought of by everybody else in the room was like, Oh, if he's on board, then maybe there's something to this work. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know who I'm talking about. He's been leading this ever since right. with, right. with the leader. He's taken a huge role and it's been really helpful for the team. So James, I'm, I'm sitting here in Chicago and I'm thinking about the, you know, the bulls. Yeah. And of course that was made famous in the, the last dance for folks who were younger that weren't, you know, watching that team in their heyday. And since we can't really name names, uh, in this podcast, I think, you know, like if you were to say, all right, so if the team leader is like Phil Jackson yeah, and, um, and, and now we have all these players. Yeah. I think what you're saying is like, we need to find the Michael Jordan and not just from the skill ability, but in, in terms of who's the Michael Jordan on the team that's going to influence others positively. And then it's got to be Scotty Pippen, who's probably the next most influential with, if Michael's on board, Scotty will join. And then you have guys like, Tony Kukoc, yeah. who are like great guys along for the ride. They've got tremendous skills, but they're like, they're not the team leader. Yeah. And then you've got like the Dennis Rodman, who's like, woof, wild card. If we could get him on board, we could be amazing. But it's well, um, probably not Kukoc that's going to get him on board. Exactly. Exactly. Why I love you bringing up the last dance. We'll, we'll stay on this thread. And then there's a different thread that to pull from the same show. Um, yeah, it, it's it's Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen that are going to be able to hold Dennis Rodman accountable. Yeah, that are going to show him the way things are done with the Bulls. Um, right. You know, uh, but 
But if we just lean on peer-to-peer, if we say, oh, it's peer-to-peer accountability, there's no way some of those guys, some of those other guys, uh, like Tony Kukoc, were going to hold Dennis Rodman accountable. There's no way. And that's not fair to even expect that. Um, But you need those people who are the higher performers and the cultural fits that can have those conversations and set the tone in addition to the leader. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the other thing that I loved about the last dance is it showed the, the converse of what we're talking about Mm. and what remember when, uh, Michael Jordan entered the league and he, he joined the bulls and they were not nearly as good of a team as, as they were when he ended his career. And it was people partying and doing drugs in the hotel room. And, and there was nobody holding anybody accountable. And, and he just admitted, like, we'd be on the road and I'd just hang out in my hotel room by myself. Because hmm. I didn't want to be lumped in with those people. I didn't want those people influencing me. But I couldn't hold them accountable yet. Hmm. And that's a, that's a team that that may they for sure didn't have somebody doing what the leader wanted right you know helping the leader didn't have the leaders back in what the leader was trying to do and but was maybe the negative influence right you know and was maybe the those are the people like probably having some tough conversations or maybe getting in the way of michael's performance or like kind of you know maybe um jealous of the status that he had at a at a young age and you know and so the the team needed an evolution and it needed to part ways with those people because it needed a culture change yeah yeah and by the way we've seen that on teams where the leader is the org health champion but nobody else is really into it it's like oh man we need some help here, you know, and the leader so badly wants to change the culture. And then we see why. Right. Right. And it's just, it's the, you know, so, all right. I get kind of passionate about this. We talk about the, that, you know, the loneliest job in a company is the CEO. Uh, we talk about how being the CEO requires a tremendous amount of courage and self-discipline and open-mindedness because, Hey, we've done really good things to get us to this place. Uh, in our career, but we probably need to try some new things to get us to the next level. Um, and so it can be a lot less lonely if the leader can recruit, hey, it'd be great if we get the entire executive team up there to being org health champions yes. or transformation tra- champions. Yes. Uh, but but it's going to probably happen in a certain order, one at a time. And and I love how you said, you know, to identify them and specifically recruit them and say, hey, here here's what I need you to do. You know, I, I need you to be as vocal, as supportive. I'm not asking for anything inauthentic. I am asking you to do something where you would just step up and, and, and assume the leadership role that you have on this team. Yes. Now, I think there's there's a set, there's a, the next set of people on the team, which are kind of like the spectators. They're they're long for the ride. They're in the they're not driving, but they're in the back seat, passenger seat. They're maybe not in the back seat complaining and whining, but the other. No. They're good guys, but they're not helping. Yeah. What? What, how, yeah. what do we say to them? What do we say to the leader there? Well, that's why I think that finding those champions and leveraging them is so important because the job of getting the spectators into more of a leadership role yep. makes is made way easier 
when they see the key influencers on board. Yeah. And, and then we get that, that influencer or that peer to peer, uh, accountability and, and, and leadership and those people, all they're doing, you, you, I think that it's a great term, the spectator, all they're doing is looking around to see where is this org health movement going? Yep. Is the leader totally committed? Is anybody else going to jump on board? And they're just going like, if this thing crashes and burns, then I'm okay with it. If this thing skyrockets and, and we go in that direction, I'm okay with that too. Right. I just don't want to lead either side of it. <laughs> you know? It's almost like, you know, I think there's probably different reasons why people are spectators. I, I wonder if sometimes they, they've been burned in the past. Like they've gotten sure. super enthusiastic about some idea or model and... And then they felt dumb, you know, uh, maybe they're a bit cynical, you know, maybe, maybe they're new, yeah. new to the organization. They're not like Michael Jordan. They're not sure what their place is. Um, maybe, maybe they just need some permission or it just needs to be brought to their attention. Like, Hey, you're kind of, you're spectating, which is great. You're on the team. You're not, I need you to help us drive forward a little bit more. Um, and then I think, you know, the obvious ones are the detractors or the, you know, the ones that are distracting and we're not talking about the broader circle of people in the company. We're talking about on the leadership team, who on the team is actually slowing you down and, and making it harder for us to make the kind of changes, positive changes that we're trying to make. Right. And, and so I have a couple of thoughts, but Keith, what are, what are the signs that somebody is maybe a detractor or got their heels dug in? Yep. Like, how would you know that? I think it's um, it's just an, an unwillingness to step up and do the things that the leader is asking them to do. It, it's it's being less vulnerable, you know, early on, you know, um, holding back when they should be speaking up. We're trying to encourage like open, direct, genuine and unguarded, unfiltered conversation. And they're still playing it safe. Yeah. So they're not being a bad person. In fact, they probably are you know, in many cases being overly polite, overly deferential. Uh, I think another one is somebody who really is only going to weigh in when it's their function that's being discussed. They're not, they're not taking a team one mindset. And so it's the CFO on the team who only weighs in when the budget's being talked about. It's the, you know, it's the HR person on the team who's only going to weigh in when we talk about talent Yeah, and we say, Hey, you know, you're, you're detracting us from getting a team one mindset. Yeah. Um, or what I saw very recently was, you know, when, when the team had, the leader and the team had decided to make a major move, um, this person just kind of kept their mouth shut <laughs> and their body language was sending a very strong signal that they were not a hundred percent on board. And when called out, uh, they kind of feigned commitment. But when when push came to shove, they 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 were not able to articulate their total buy-in on a decision, and then it showed up in the following week on a call when it was just obvious that this person was still not bought in, and so it's not that the person was a detractor in everything. It was it, it was they were holding the team back from moving quickly on this really important decision that the team had made, and um, it and it, it would have been nice if there been, had been a champion on the team, <laughs> kind of like in your example yes. to say, Hey, 
look, the rest of us are on board of this. We need you here. Yeah. And, and have it not always be the leader doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple, I love how you were discussing it and I love the fact that you're like, it's usually not that they're fully not bought in, but you see fragments of being not bought into this. Um, you and I have seen occasionally people who are just fully fighting it and not on board and you know, all of that, but that's rarer. Yeah. But the other things that I would add to it is when they're participating, you know, and kind of going along with it at the executive level, but then you get a sense that they're not leading their team in this same oh, yeah. way. Right. You know, and that's a little bit harder to spot because they kind of go along with it in the executive offsites or the executive meetings. But then you just get a sense from the people they lead that this isn't going downstream very far. Yeah. I finished your thought that I have two quick examples. Okay. Well, and then the other one was a little, I remember a client recently or somebody on the team saying, you know, this org health stuff is really hard because you go through your career learning things and this idea of being vulnerable or having healthy conflict or peer-to-peer accountability, that just is so different. And he was acting like he was open-minded to it, but he was really like, no, he's not. He's just yeah. making the case for not changing. So yeah, right. I'd love to hear totally. your examples. Totally. You know, I was with one of our other colleagues recently and it was just early on in the day. And I said, Hey, I'm just curious how many of you have actually read the advantage. And that's, you know, the book by Patrick Lencioni that lays out the models and really clear, easy to understand language. Yep. And on a team of eight people, only two. Yes. And it was like, Hey, good job. The two of you. And it was easy to spot because like, they probably are the ones like helping push the work. Yeah. So that was just like one way to spot somebody who's like, they're not like opposed to it, but they just haven't bought into it fully. Yeah. And then that was the other one I thought of is if you ask the question like, Hey, we're trying to master certain behaviors at this exec team. How many of you have on your own brought this stuff up to the team that you lead and are trying to model and mimic and try some of the same things, fostering, you know, better debate, clear decisions, higher levels of commitment, peer-to-peer accountability, trying to create team clarity. And there will be a clear differentiation. Yeah. Some are like, oh yes, I did it right away. Yeah. And others will be like, no, I have another system. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like this is good for you, CEO, but this is not what we're going to do in my team. Yeah. Alan Mulally talks a lot about in his leadership framework that's talked about in the American icon and the way he framed it And it's such an engineering word from Nebraska. It's like the practices and principles. So he's like, how's your performance? And then how bought in are you to our practices and principles? And and what he meant by that was like how he intended to lead Ford Motor Company. And he was inviting everybody to join him. Yes. And he then rate people like a scale of one to 10. How bought in are you? And it's like, man, at that executive level, he needed like a 10 out of 10 bought in. Yeah. And if somebody wasn't, he was like, hey, you, there's lots of other places you could work, but you can't stay here if you're not bought into the practices and the principles that I'm intending to use to lead this organization. So he invited him in. And bought in. And in expected that them to join. Is committed to yes. doing it. You know, not just like, totally. yeah, it's okay if you do it, Alan. No, it's like, we're all going to do this. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, James, I'm glad you brought this up. 
Peer-to-peer accountability, not all peers have equal influence. We talk about the rule of thirds, but we've almost always applied that to the rest of the org. Now we're applying it to the executive team. Leaders, if you're listening to this, remember, identify in your team who is an accelerator that's out with you in front, who is a spectator, and who is dragging you down. And then our action would be have a conversation with each of them individually. Recruit your champions, set an expectation for them to help you, point out to the spectators that they're spectating, and be really clear with the detractors like, hey, I need you to get on board, and I need you to start running with me in these practices and principles of the way that we're going to lead this company. So that's our challenge for you today. Yeah, that's great. This was a great conversation, Keith. Thank you so much. All right. So thanks for joining us on another Org Health Advantage, and we look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Org Health Advantage. Your hosts, Keith and James, are helping leaders change the world of work and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. For more resources on building stronger teams and organizational health, check out tablegroup.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.